1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Ethnographic Marginalia podcast in partnership with the New Books Network. I am Sneha Anavarapu, and along with my co-host Alex Diamond, I'm so thrilled to have Dr. V. Chitra with us on our podcast today. Dr. V. Chitra is an environmental anthropologist who is broadly interested in how cultures of expertise, both scientific and non-scientific, shape human-nature relationships and our knowledge and experience of the climate crisis. Her brilliant work is multimodal, often combining images, particularly comics and text. She is currently Assistant Professor of Anthropology at the National University of Singapore. Hi, Chitra. Uh, It's so great to have you on the Ethnographic Marginalia podcast. Um, As we are colleagues at NUS, I'm already well aware with your work and have had so many fruitful conversations about ethnography. And I'm just really glad that we can share those conversations with more people today. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to thank you for taking time out on a Monday to do this recording.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much for having me and thank you for taking the time to do this. Thank you both.
0: Totally our pleasure. So let's start out uh, our conversation today with getting to know you a little bit better. How did you become an anthropologist and what was your journey into academia like?
2: Uh, so i actually like mostly stumbled into anthropology i uh have a background in design uh, i studied architecture in my undergraduate studies and then i did a masters in visual communication and um then after that i had a i had a um art practice for a little bit and i was drawing comics and i wanted to draw research based comics and um I was also doing commercial work on the side to keep myself afloat, but um, I was really looking at different models and how I could exist while doing this without having to do without, you know, while being able to engage in research and didn't really have um, a sense of what that is, what is research, how to do it, you know, or a background in even reading Um and um, then I happened to attend a public talk by uh, an anthropologist and they were like, oh, anthropologists is, anthropology is this wonderful, flexible field and it actually brings together your thematic interests. Why don't you try it? And so I applied to anthropology programs and thinking I would do it. Oh, Earlier, I was thinking, oh, this could be something I could probably do in a year or two and then come back. And then, of course, that didn't happen. I ended up going into an anthropology grad program for almost a decade, and I didn't draw for six years because I was just learning how to read and write. And so only after I went to the field and came back that I started doing little snippets of drawing, and even then my entire dissertation is all written with photographs. So all the comics were happening on the side. And it was only later after leaving grad school, after finishing a postdoc and coming to NUS that I was actually started thinking about how to put comics and anthropology together. But that's been the whole journey. Yeah, of thank it. you.
0: That's really, really interesting. And just a uh, note that uh, Australian National University is lucky to be having you with them soon. So congratulations. On that.
2: Yes, I'm very excited for that. <laughs> yeah, move. Thank great. you.
1: Um, so, Chitra, your work uh, intersects with STS, science technology studies, environmental studies, um, and also urban anthropology. Um, so, how did you get interested in these these diverse themes and topics?
2: Architecture. Uh, it's a really good meeting ground for these three things. And uh, I was very lucky to go to a school which... Uh, came out of this uh it it comes out of a very particular moment in the history of our design pedagogy in India and it they started looking at the city as a lab and working with questions of like materials technology and things like sustainability uh so of course it's coming at it from a completely different angle but it it seeded these concepts in my mind and so um when I went to uh my master's program I already knew I had a vague sense that these were things I was interested in without understanding that they are like subfields or their fields. And there is a way in which I positioned myself within it um, and wanted to draw a lot of science fiction based on it, based around these things. So it was science fiction was also a really, really important thematic entry into these things, into these particular fields of interest. Um, uh, and so um Luckily enough, the master's program at IIT Bombay at that point in time uh, allowed taught you basic things in the first year, like techniques and theory and things like that. And the second year was entirely experimental. Like you could just go and come up with a project for yourself and do what you wanted with the techniques you had learned in the first year and a great deal of resource to do all of that experimentation. Um, and so what ended up happening was that I was like, okay, I want to draw these science fiction kind of things. And from there, it actually moved into research. So science fiction and design were really important entry points to these three themes.
0: Mm -hmm. That's, again, really, really interesting. And I think quite an offbeat route into, uh, you know, heavy duty topics like STS, I would imagine. Um, But can you tell us, a little bit about your ethnographic research in Mumbai with the Mumbai coastal communities. So how did your larger interests in STS environmental studies and urban anthropology translate into this particular ethnographic project and site? And what did a typical day of field work, if there was even such a thing, really look like? Mm. So um,
2: in the in in early on in my uh, graduate uh, uh, studies what i was thinking was that um i would be um i would be looking at slum rehabilitation housing which is a thing in mumbai it comes out of a certain kind of policy sorry um and uh, um uh so what i wanted to do was to um Look at these different design processes that were going on in the in in the making of these schemes. It was a really interesting thing because there were lots of um, interesting configurations of um, um, NGO activists, design schools, and um, you know residents of informal settlements working together. Uh, unfortunately, it was not possible to do that project, but I was still sort of interested in like what is this thing of drawing and design and making the city. Um, uh, and so when I started fieldwork in 2011, I was uh, at that very moment, the new coastal policy was released. And because, and interestingly enough, in the 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 story of the coastal communities and what happens in the aftermath of the coastal for policy, also parallels slum, the, the story of the slum rehabilitation projects in Mumbai in interesting ways, which is that a lot of coastal communities who uh, were living in informal settlements, then also approached architecture schools. So there was this entry point into looking at a similar thing. And so I started working there. And of course, uh, in, without really understanding what I was going to get out of it um, uh, fully, uh, just a general sense that this is the question I'm interested in, like, how are drawings making the city? Um, how does drawing make landscape? Very, very, very simply and so i started looking at uh, coastal communities who were approaching drawing schools so in terms of like a typical day it really depended so if i were in the coastal community like if i were in the fishing village in mumbai then a lot of what i did was actually sorting and selling fish for the for a for about 8 months that was that defined my day um would be going and um, so i would say about 30% of my time was sorting and selling fish For about four or five and at that time I did not realize it but that became incredibly important later on I always thought that the sorting and selling fish I was doing as a way of getting to know the people to understand their struggles around coastal you know politics and actually so then recognizing that that even that the techniques of sorting selling fishing are important happened much later so that was that part then there was the part of following around coastal surveyors which happened intermittently so I've, uh, whenever I would get access, I would try to follow people who are surveying or people who are going and conducting campaigns. And that was another thing. But um, so that was another 30%. But a large, a large third of my fieldwork was actually like, honestly, worrying about getting access, which is a very like, um, and trying to like, get connections, uh, trying to find out projects which I could follow. Um, and so a lot of that was also spent in uh, because in some senses, the nature of ethnography that one doesn't um, really know uh, what are all the things one is gathering, right? Like, so there is, for as as a grad student, I have this deep-seated anxiety that I must gather everything that I can. So a lot of, a lot of energy in a typical day went into getting, getting access into things. Trying to find stuff and trying to like, like oh, there's this archive. How do I go there? What is in it? Can I photocopy this stuff? <laughs> so a lot was about that. So I'd say those were the big threes of my uh, fieldwork. <laughs> the, the big three.
0: <laughs> and I mean, I'm so glad that you brought it up because I feel like so much of my fieldwork was beset with this anxiety around, is this enough? Or, you know, am I even... Chasing the right contacts and um, so on and so forth. So it's really like useful, I think, for people to hear about how that that feeling is rather common. Like everybody goes through it, especially in grad school. I was just wondering how do you think your positionality in terms of class caste and gender um manifest in uh, finding those connections or even sometimes not being given access to certain spaces yes um yes. yes you know
2: that is an absolutely important very important point um a lot of the things that i was able to gather was because of a lot of huge amounts of class and caste privilege um so um for instance like in the later part of my fieldwork, I did a lot more work on um some of the engineering stuff engineering projects that were going on getting access to that in IIT Bombay was clearly because I had the privilege of having all of these connections because I had like I'm an alum uh, of IIT Bomb- Mumbai. and so that that gave a huge amount then the other thing was um architecture schools, because I was trained in one of them. And because I knew people already, I had this huge amount of privilege in terms of gaining access to these projects. And at the same time, so and and at the same time, uh, you know, even as a grad student, I in terms of a stipend um, in America, I was I was not earning much. But when you take that money and you bring it to Mumbai, that is a huge amount of money and uh you know that really like that was that was really really um that's a really important point to to remember I think because uh, a lot of the people I were talking to were not earning as much as I was and they were aware of you know the kinds of class differences and privilege and all of that stuff that is there um and um in some sense it did of course make some interactions harder in terms of questions of, like, okay, you're basically doing this for your research, but you do realize for us, this is our house. And this is, you know, what we are battling with is displacement. Like, I remember in 2012 when uh, um, the municipal elections were happening, right? And the Maharashtra Navnirman Senat, which is a regional local right, or the uh, well, regional party that was coming up at that time, um, decided to do this thing of um, having this exam, instead of nominating people from within their cadre or nominating people who are prominent in the community, they had an exam. And they said, whoever clears this exam, which is based on like, you know, the municipal corporations workings, then we will put them up. And that was a stroke of genius, because this is a party that is coming up. But at the same time, it is right wing party right like they um, and they did that and I and the people in the fishing community were really excited because this allowed people from there within the community to come up and I was talking about MNS politics with one of the people that I was uh, you know I, I used to hang out with a lot and then he was like why, yeah we can talk about this but you realize that if we get somebody from within our community into the municipal corporation you do you realize what what a big deal this is for us like you know so there, there is this there are these incredibly important moments where uh you know this was brought home to me and very rightly so and I think those were very important moments that I learned from yeah you
1: yeah. know. another follow-up question because I'm, I'm sure our listeners are as curious as I am um you sort of teased that, when you were sorting fish, you hadn't expected that to be uh, part of the the subject of your research. But much later, you realized that it was, which I'm sure is something that um, that's that's part of why we're scared of missing things in the field, right? Because we don't know what may end up being important later. So I was just curious, like what what ended up being important? What insight did you end up getting from uh, from fish sorting?
2: Um, so, um, a lot of the work on, um, or all of the stuff that I started thinking about in terms of pollution and what the coast is as a material landscape and moving away from housing rights happened because of that fish work, because apart from sorting fish, we would encounter a huge amount of plastic. Um, sometimes the things like the entire fish catch would be covered in jellyfish blooms that come up because, you know, of pollution and, uh, climate change and things like so sometimes the entire catch would be covered in jellyfish and not usable sometimes you would have um, like a lot a lot of incredibly um, old trash that has just been spit out from the creek so depending on the tide so working with that and working uh, with fish and even working with fish also allowed me to understand how does marine tenure work which is actually not a thing um, that the policy even addresses, like, how does, how is this really divided? Um, so those are really important questions. I don't think I could have even come at had I not started doing this work. So, yeah, that was really, really important.
1: That's oh, very interesting. Um, so you mentioned the the drawing that that you have, have been into and very good at, and we've had the, the privilege of seeing some of your art and it's beautiful. Um, so how, how did you, Get into these visual med- methods um, and start working with comics uh, as a mode of knowledge production. Like, what what drew you to them, pun intended, in, in the first place?
2: I love that pun. Um, uh, so the um, so actually the comics came first. So in this case, because I um, have always read comics, I have a deep love for comics and especially science fiction comics. I, so I came in knowing I wanted to engage comics what I did not know was um why anthropology and what what it and those were those are questions I've like uh sort of sta- I, I answered for myself in the process um um and so comics is really interesting as a medium because it plays with The balance between pictures and words. Sometimes you can have only pictures, sometimes you can have only words. And that's the the incredible um, flexibility of it. That is, uh, that it's wonderful. So you can say things in a lot of parallel narratives. It's like, you know, when you're watching a cinema, when you're watching a movie, you hear some narrative, but you're seeing something else on screen. So simultaneously, you're constructing two, three things together. And, and and I'm not saying that that's not possible with text, but I'm saying comics allows you to do that in these really fun ways. And that is what I really like about it. And I think it lends itself very well to anthropology, ethnography, and because anthropology, ethnography is also similarly flexible, trying to do these complex ways of telling stories. So I think they come together in really lovely ways. Um, and that's what I really enjoy about putting comics and anthropology together the, and trying to figure out how they come together rather than one coming after the other in you know yeah
0: that's really beautifully put and you know can't help but wonder then what are the sort of granular logistics around working with comics so how do you do this do you draw comics at the field site or do you take you know notes to do so later or do you take photographs that you return to um how does it sort of work um
2: so um in this particular project I didn't really draw much in the field because I was doing lots of so sketching there were there are a few field notes like uh, there are field note sketches I have they're all in the sides and they're like you know in the margins and then there uh there's a lot of notes there are a huge number of photographs uh 2011 I got my first uh, smartphone. Uh, so I took a lot of photographs and those photographs became the basis for my uh, uh, for a lot of the comic drawings. But uh, uh, the other reason was also that um, uh, this was there's a lot of uh, worry about surveying and drawing in general, right? Because it's informal settlements. So you don't want to go and sit outside with and draw unless and that that creates some pe- people don't like it and also because those kinds of acts precede demolition pro- programs. They can, you know, developers send people into. So drawing wasn't something I just would do just like that. Um, mostly I would take pictures and people were okay with that because, they, you know, they used to people taking pictures. Everybody does that. So that was actually better. So uh, that that became the basis for the comics. In terms of just drawing the comics, because I use a technique called, with uh, it is a lot of pen and ink. It's quite uh, um it's a, it's a lot of manual work. I do not use computer graphics so I'll uh, I have um I'll make a pencil sketch um and I'll finalize it and I'll ink on top of it and then there'll be another layer of uh watercolor washes in gray that'll add tonality to it and then all of it will get scanned and get uh, processed in photoshop cleaned and put all together and then there is also typography um uh, which a lot not a lot of people talk about when they talk about comics they don't talk about typography and i think that that's an really so thinking about font and you know how does one write sound and all of those things come then after that so then you put all of it together typically just to draw one page um one detailed page uh, after it's been conceived will take me about
0: anywhere from three to four days yeah that is amazing can you tell us a little bit about um, because I know this but I'd love for everybody to know this how many uh, illustrations accompany or your book that is soon going to be out in the world
2: yes nearly 100 there are 99 pages
0: yeah (laughs) so yeah nearly
2: 100 pages. That is a lot of uh, work
0: and I just wanted to say that I'm so excited for an academic book to be accompanied by these many you know uh, illustrations and it really offers such a novel mode of knowledge production of theorizing of you know representation of data but it's also just fun and you know there should be much more centering of uh, creativity I think in academic knowledge production and this is going to be such a stellar example of that uh really really can't wait thank
2: you i'm really excited too and i can't wait either so i'm, I'm very excited for the book to come out it's been a really long uh like you know it's, it's 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 been an old 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 ambition of mine to have to to be to have a book drawn and written so i'm very excited that i've been able to do that
1: so how about advice for people who are listening and inspired ethnographers who want to integrate comics into their into their own work what what advice would you give to them
2: everybody should do it and everybody can do it drawing one of the things that I really really want uh you know especially when I'm teaching comics I want all my students or anybody who asks me hey I'm interested in comics I want everybody to understand anyone and everyone can draw there is drawing is a skill it's like riding a bicycle you do more you get better and, you know, you'll eventually learn it. And then you eventually learn to do new things with it. So everybody should draw. And there are a lot of resources out there uh, to begin drawing. And, uh, you know, in, if you ever want, you can also get in touch and I will send you all the resources as well. But yeah, it is it is an absolutely interesting medium. But one of the things that I uh, um, I think is a very important question is why draw and what, it might be good to think about what com- comics can do for you rather than just communicating what is already there and uh, cracking what that form can do for you can be a really, really, really productive question.
1: What What do you think it does for your work you to sort of put that question to you?
2: Yeah, uh, so... Um, in in for my work at least this current work i think it will do different things for different works uh, this current work i really like that um, because it's a book about drawing it's a book about how technical drawings like maps and plans make the coast um, and so it's a, a one of the things that comics allows me to do is to really redraw these drawings and show how they are making the coast so it's a it's a it's a nice way in which the form articulates the argument and i think that that is a very important thing If one is choosing any kind of form, including
0: text, which is how does it articulate
2: the argument in the way that it appears.
0: Yeah, I think that that's really that's really great. And speaking of other, I guess, visual methods of representation, like maps and graphs, are there other forms uh, of visual methods that you're interested in, like photography or documentary filmmaking or any other form? Animation.
2: I I'm very, very, very interested in animation, um, not, uh, not necessarily the very uh, detailed animation that you might see in, say, a Pixar film or 3D animation. I'm very much interested in quick and dirty kind of animation. Uh, animation is an incredibly forgiving medium. Like our brain does a lot of work for us. So even if I like squiggle a few lines and I move it for you, you you know, whoever's seeing it will fill in the gaps and understand what in that sense, it's a really forgiving medium. And I would love to try it um, in in the future. If I find something that I would love, I would love to try these animated projects as well. Uh, I think, yeah, that's, that's, that
0: would be something I'd like to do. That's really interesting. I mean, is, is this something that other anthropologists have done or um, do, you, do
2: you think of example? Um, in terms of animation off the top of my head, I cannot, unfortunately. I mean, I, I'm right now thinking of uh, a student project, a lot of student projects that were like, you know, research animated. Uh, but I'm thinking of, uh, and what's coming into my head is of course animate animated films that I love. So uh you know so uh the key brothers uh they did really interesting stop motion uh really beautiful work uh, some of the early animations that came on doordarshan uh in the, in the 80s that that was also really really uh, um um some indian animators like shilpa ranade whose work is also very interesting um then, uh, of course studio ghibli and all of the other stuff the Beautiful animation that draws you into worlds, and that is that is really inspiring, right? Like how it kind of pulls you, sucks you into that landscape, and that would be fun to do. Like how does how how can like granulars, like how can grainy scrib- scribbly lines do that?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, so we've already mentioned it, but we want to give uh, sort of full a full description of the book that's that I think is coming out soon, right? It's called uh, Drawing Coastlines. Um, you started to talk a little bit about the the role of comics in it, and, a, and a, a little about the argument. But, um, uh, well, yeah. So first of all, congratulations in advance. We're we're very excited to to check it out, and we've seen some of the some of the comics that appear in it, um, fragments of it. It's it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, no, my pleasure. And I, I really am looking forward to it. Um, so what what is the book about? Just tell tell us a little bit more about it, please.
2: Um, So um, the book is titled uh, Drawing Coastlines, uh, Climate Anxieties and the Visual Reinvention of Mumbai Shore. That's the current title. Um, And it'll be uh, coming out with Cornell University Press next year. Um, So Dominic Boyer and Jim Lance were incredibly wonderful and supportive through this whole process. Uh, So um, I'm very excited about it. And um, what the book is about really about is it's it's about technical images, maps, plans, infographics, graph, all these kinds of very technical images, um, and how do they make the coastal landscape. And uh, one of the, the, the interesting thing about technical images is that technical images are one of the very important kinds of images through which we understand that we're in a moment of climate crisis. Like, if we talk about global warming, the average rise, you know, the graph of the average rising average temperature is a it's a really important like figure if i if when i ask people like how do you you know how do you what example can you give me of a rep, um something that tells you that we're in this really long crisis and so that that's a very important because these figures are not just representations i think of what's happening out there but they're also crucial for how we understand uh, uh the climate crisis how we face it and they uh, they also have an impact on human environment relationships. So uh, the book is really about, um, the book asks this question from Mumbai, which is uh, a wonderful city uh, as Sneha knows this as well. So, and, uh, uh, <laughs> and it uh, looks at a number of these different drawing projects to see how they articulate the coast differently and they bring different coastal futures into being. And it does that through drawing.
1: That sounds amazing. Um... And this I, I feel very bad asking this question, but but such is the world of academia, right? Uh do you have any idea once now that, that you're finishing this up? Uh do you have any other projects going on or or what's what's next?
2: Yes, uh I'm actually so um uh in while I was doing this, um I, I've been a bad academic and not lined up a very big second project because also because of the pandemic the pandemic made it a little bit hard for me to figure out what was the next big project going to be um and I um I made a, a for I do I don't actually have a good reason for this but I decided my second project had to be out of Mumbai uh or like you know I had to take an expanded view um just to just to try working in a different ca- uh, contextual canvas and even come at Mumbai slightly differently, so that was one of the big things I've I've been wanting to do. Uh, so one of the um, so I did smaller projects on uh, dog human dog relationships in Singapore, um, then looking at the geospatial policy in India, and I'm slowly trying to articulate a bigger project for myself. Most likely, it will be about human insect relationships, and so I'm slowly setting out feelers in. Uh, um, to looking at uh you know bee management bee policy i also started following around insect surveys in singapore though that is not going to become the next project for multiple reasons but uh yeah so i've started looking at these um uh, ways in which entomological sciences are operationalized and what are they because i first of all i find insects absolutely fascinating secondly i think that there's this interesting kind of uh, way in which insects are on the one hand at the leading edge of like you know the, the extinction like in, insects are dying um at, at an alarming rate and at the same time there are there's this rise of the insect industry which is like you know um insect protein so i'm fascinated by this kind of to the two poles of this, which is that one is this: oh, there is the insect plenty, and therefore they can take it, take us out of this crisis by becoming an alternate for, say, meat, right? And then on the other hand, there is this. So what is the, what are these two poles? And from here, I've started to craft a second project, and I'm, and the more I dig into it, the the more fun it seems to get. Like for instance, uh, there is this: there's a long history of working on bee visions. So how do insects see? Even so, I'm finding these interesting things. Or how are insects seen? Classifying insects, um, the ways in which insects were drawn, classified, seen, and things like that. So the so of course again I, I'm kind of coming at it from the visual sense. But yeah, this is where I'm headed. Um, I have other ideas, but r- right now this is where I'm headed. Mm-hmm.
0: But can you uh, tell us a little bit more about the uh, human dog? Uh, relations project in Singapore because I've heard you talk about it a little bit it's so interesting and I'd love for uh, everyone else to tune in as well.
2: Yes so this happened during the pandemic and uh, it comes out of my experience as a volunteer foster for one of the animal welfare groups here and um, it was prompted by this one foster dog of mine running away And what that me and that happened during the pandemic, and was followed by nine months of me trying to trap this dog by myself. Because, um, and later I was joined by another trapper. Um, But what that made me realize was the were the ways in which categories such as stray, feral, foster, um, domesticated operate in the city. And one of the very interesting ways in which dog lives uh, are crafted is through the public housing policy in Singapore. The rules of the public housing policy really frame uh, what the dog's life can be, especially dogs that are not breed dogs. There's a long history of animal ma- management and animal policy and care and new shifting ideas of care that are shaping that. And one of the very so in the, for the longest time, stray dogs, as they're called stray dogs, Um, you know, like mutts mongrel dogs, were not allowed in the public housing programs, which is where 80% of the island uh, city's population lives. They were not allowed. Only pedigree dogs of a certain size were allowed. This has changed in recent times due to a lot of advocacy work. But one of the really interesting things that, I ha- that has happened is the rise of this idea that there is a category of um, dogs, local non-breed dogs that are called Singapore Specials. And it is through this Re-understanding of this tree as a Singapore special, as having a belonging, of of having some kind of citizenship in this, uh, that they have been slowly accepted into the public housing program through a series of policy reforms. Which are also which which are still not adequate, but they're slowly changing over time. But so one of the things that I'm really interested in with this project is to uh, map out the the terrain of policy changes and HDB regulations in relation to how can we draw how the dog smells the city, and to combine those two drawings. And so I again I'm I'm so I'm approaching this as a problem that you know I'd like to visualize and what can drawing tell us about this, the, the intersection of these two worlds uh, and the how how can one draw smell and what can drawings of smell tell us about how dogs live the city and how can that also then make us think about our own capacity to embrace the feral, that which might reject us and not accept us and not, not be willing to be domesticated.
0: So interesting. I mean, again, um, I'm struck by the the I think subtextual connections between your uh, drawing coastlines project as well as this and the next one on insects uh, very very cool uh, so this is a question that I love asking um guests on the podcast because it really gives us an insight into how you know these ideas emerge as in your own work as you go about doing it but are there any ethnographers that you are inspired by and who have really shaped your approach to ethnographic research and writing and drawing?
2: Yes, I absolutely love this question. Um, and uh, so currently, in terms of recent works, um, uh, Radhika Govindrajans' Animal Intimacies and uh, Marisol de la Cardena's uh, Earth Ecologies, um, the Yeah. Uh, And uh, those, those are the two that come to mind then. um, But the ones I keep going back to uh, Donna Haraway um, and um, I also Catherine Henderson's really interesting work on technical drawing, the life of technical drawings and how they bring communities together. uh, That is also really wonderful, but I would really like to add some comic uh, comic stuff. Um, so for people who are interested in what drawing, or they just want to dip their toes into drawing, uh, Linda Barry. If you could pick up any work by Linda Barry on drawing, it'll take you through a series of beautiful, structured, very friendly exercises um, that will, you know, you know, introduce you to drawing in a very fun way. Um, then I would also say, Scott, if you are interested in like, looking at the grammar of comics and very structured uh, understanding of what comics are, Scott McCloud's Understanding of Comics is, a, is a, almost like a textbook for me. Um, and in terms of, say, recent um, ethnographic exploration of comics, uh, uh, Caroline Schuster's forecast, which is out by uh, University of Toronto Press. Uh, in their ethnographic series yes those are the ones that come to mind but I have a lot more we'll
0: actually put out uh, links to all the uh, works mentioned by Chitra in the podcast description so if anyone's interested you can just take a look at that um, and uh, should be a be a wholesome list Chitra you can also add more if you can think of them later and we we'll just add it to, yes, the, to the absolutely yeah
1: Well, this was a fascinating conversation, Chidra. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, And we are uh, really looking forward in particular to to the book um, coming out. You said Cornell University Press next year, right? Yes. Drawing Coastlines. Yes. Um, So thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us. This was wonderful.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank you.